On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund and Hospice of Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today, we continue this installment of the E-Series with the intersection of faith and health in the community, a conversation between CEO Trent Cockrum and Reverend Lamonte Williams, community liaison and outreach specialist with the Wake Forest School of Medicine's Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity and the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Together, they will discuss how community engagement, understanding, and collaborations can lead to key partnerships that connect local faith leaders and congregations to timely health resources and initiatives. Lamonte completed his doctorate degree in ministry at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, with a concentration in transformative leadership. He has 17 years of pastoral experience and is past president of the Minister's Conference of Winston-Salem and Vicinity. In his current work with Wake Forest School of Medicine's Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity and Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, Lamonte develops and leads strategic community engagement and outreach programs focused on better meeting the health needs of African-American communities in Winston-Salem and surrounding areas. Let's listen in. Dr. Williams, such a great pleasure uh, to have you as a guest today. Um, Yes. Um, So as Ryan mentioned in his introduction, um, you you're involved in a lot of things. You work in the at the Maya Angelou Center uh, for Health Equity, um, and you're also part of the Triad Pastors Network. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do for both of those? Yes. uh, Well, uh, by default um, and uh, virtual calling, I am a pastor. Uh, I've been a pastor uh, for right at 20 years uh, now, and um, I've been in the Winston-Salem area. This is my 12th year complete uh, into my 13th year, which sounds absolutely strange. Uh, I remember the day that I came to Winston-Salem. I did not know one person in the city. And um, my training as a seminarian, um, the last class I took was faith engagement. And our professor, I remember him saying, you're only as relevant as your footprint in the community. And so, you know, I came day one uh, with a mandate just to make a footprint uh, in the Winston Triad area. And so uh, that's my role there. I pastor uh, um, Pentecostal church. Uh, I've been there. Um, We started out uh, from day one with community engagement Uh, really just trying to uh, make the community understand that there's a partnership uh, between um, the church uh, and the community it sits in. And so I've been very thankful. Uh, I've met a lot of wonderful community partners uh, as a result of that. And um, I can truly say that I've watched and seen transformation from many members um, in the Diggs Memorial Church, but more specifically, uh, in our community. Our church is known as a community church. And, um, you know, some say that's good. Some say that's not, but it, it, it matters not to me because it speaks to the mandate to which I, I came to Winston-Salem. And so uh, that's that's um, my uh, brief discourse around uh, pastoring. Uh, I've been in 
ministry uh, all my life. Let me just say uh, I owe a debt to my mom, Ms. Doretha Williams, who is still living. Uh, she did not take us to church. Uh, she she didn't send us to church. She took us to church. And so, um, you know, that foundation, I often remind my parishioners, uh, you are the benefactors of that um, commitment from my mother, because what it did was it set a strong foundation around uh, faith for me. And uh, they get to see what that commitment looks like. And so that's my faith. Um, and then also, I'm very privileged uh, to work with uh, Dr. Goldie Esberg, who is the center director for the uh, My Angelo Center for Health Equity. Uh, and in that uh, center, um, I've been very blessed to um, kind of help facilitate um, the faith engagement arm of the uh, My Angelo Center for Health Equity uh, in that role. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, I've always had a passion for uh, faith engagement. Uh, our favorite line there is faith engagement is a science. Uh, everyone needs to understand that um, you don't just wake up and interface uh, with the faith community. Uh, there are so many uh, facets to that just concept. And um, so to that end, we sat down and had a conceptualization moment Dr. Bird and I, and we came up with this concept of a triad pastors network. Mm -hmm. This network would serve on many um, platforms, but the most important would be to raise uh, awareness around health uh, for the congregant and the pastor, uh, figuring out what are those conversations, what are those necessities, what are those health inequities uh, that the network can speak to uh, and then be able to provide some level of programming and initiatives around it. So that's the key point around the Triad Pastors Network. It's not just about identifying a health need, but taking that conversation to the next level and providing some programming, some curricula, uh, also as well as some type of initiatives that ultimately becomes an asset-based communication. Uh, we thought early on in the process that um, what, what I have found, um, uh, Mr. Trent, is that a lot of times when people try to interface with uh, faith communities, unfortunately in academia, there is this concept of a deficit mentality where you go to the faith community thinking that they have nothing to contribute and could not be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and so this, this Triad Pastors Network, one of the pillars is this asset-based collaboration where we say, you come to the table with a lot of assets as well as we do. And so we have well over a hundred pastors um, that we have started out with. I'm very happy to say that we're getting ready to launch our um, orientation uh, campaign. I have probably another hundred pastors across the state who are saying they too uh, want to be a part of this Triad Pastors Network. And I think it speaks to the testament. For example, uh, the Triad Pastors Network became a voice and continues to be a voice even during this pandemic for COVID seminars, for pastors who are saying, listen, how do we even 
maintain a presence during the pandemic. And so we had a long series of about 10 seminars where we brought professionals in of all facets to speak to pastors and faith leaders on how to remain relevant uh, during a pandemic. These are just some of the many initiatives that we have uh, began to launch. But I think the key point around the Triad Pastors Network is uh, we have been very blessed to uh, take that concept to the next level. And we created what we call the Ecclesiastical Council uh, for the actual network. And this is a subgroup of the 100 pastors. It's about 30 of these pastors who provide uh, oversight and, and really um, guidance for the uh, network itself. So for example, if we want to push a particular curriculum, we'll bring that curricula to the council, let them give us real-time advantage um, discourse around it, which clearly is immeasurable because you get a chance to hear what pastors are and faith leaders are thinking uh, in real time before you're actually uh, implementing it. What a blessing it is to have such a, a concept. And then let me just also say that the Triad Pastors Network is an interfaith and ecumenical gathering as well. We have uh, all walks of uh, uh, faith leaders, uh, we have interfaith leaders as well, um, mom, um, you know, rabbis. Listen, I'm just excited uh, to be able, and we continue to push that uh, border to to say, uh, as the good uh, master said, whosoever will uh, let them come and work with us. You know, it sounds like Dr. Williams, what you're really describing, if I've captured it um, thoughtfully enough, is this understanding that a well-informed congregational leader has the ability to really have a tremendous impact on the health and well-being of a congregation. I might even go so far as to say that what they take from perhaps from your Tried Pastors Network enables them to help facilitate the creation of a healthy congregation, which in turn may help create a healthy community? Is that fair? Oh, not only is it fair, we are synchronized in our thinking because that was my next follow-up. Um, you know, as a faith leader uh, and at the Triad Pastors Network, we have a strong conviction. If you show me a healthy pastor, then I can show you a healthy congregation. If they show me a healthy congregation, then I can show you a healthy community as well. And so, uh, because quite frankly, the church congregants make up the community. Mm -hmm. All walks, by the way. I mean, when you open the door, um, it is that evangelism concept that you are going out and to receive whoever uh, is willing to receive that as well. And then let me just say, too, that the Triad Pastors Network has another arm not only does it have the Ecclesiastical Council, it also has um, uh, congregational health ambassadors. And so these health ambassadors become that uh, liaison between the pastor and uh, the Maya Angelou Center. For we know most faith leaders, um, plates are pretty full 
and you may not be able to attend meetings or you may not be able to debrief every single document that comes. And so if there's an initiative, what we've done is we've asked every faith leader to provide us one to two ambassadors. And these ambassadors meet monthly. Uh, we started that uh, just before the pandemic. And so we've been trying to gently uh, create that uh, traction again with these ambassadors because it really does provide a relief valve for the pastor, right? And so the, the ambassador can also get a good temperature of the community through the congregants, which also helps them inform the local pastor. Yes, I think what you're describing is sort of leveraging the benefit of knowledge um, across a multitude of people for the benefit of the, both the congregation and then ultimately the community. I think that's a that's a really smart way to approach it because we know that um, I know from my own conversations with uh, with pastors in the past, they're you guys are really busy. Um, you guys are attending to the ministerial needs of many, many people, uh, oftentimes many hundreds. And so you're being pulled in lots of different directions. And so having sort of point people in the in the churches, particularly as it relates to health and wellness considerations, I think is a real, I think is a real key. So I, I commend you for that. You know, Dr. Williams, you know, in, in, in thinking about that, you have a really unique perspective because you're working with many pastors across the region, if not even across the state, you're a pastor yourself in a, in a church. Um, and so I imagine that you see that, that, congregations are facing challenges right now. Um, I think they were probably facing challenges pre-COVID. They're facing challenges during COVID. They're a little different, probably exaggerated um, uh, the, the, the pre-pandemic uh, you know, challenges uh, most likely. But can you talk a little bit about the challenges that you see pastors facing um, uh, in their congregations right now? Yes, well, I, I, I think it's a good place to start, uh, a good foundational place, and that is, first and foremost, uh, many people are overlooking the fact that the pastors themselves are having challenges. We are having challenges that we've never encountered, I know, in my lifetime. I've never had, neither have I had the uh, challenge of pastoring through a pandemic, uh, as well as um, what many people uh, seem to minimize is the pastor has a personal life. You have a family, uh, you have a uh, career, and uh, you have a health of your own that you have to maintain. And so uh, trying to, uh, that was one of the first things we did, first of all, for pastors in the Triad Pastors Network was we, we thought it was necessary to have a pastor's retreat because pastors themselves are overtaxed during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we had an immense uh, positive response uh, from that. And that has really kind of created some of the momentum. But what we also know is that um, there are congregational challenges. Uh, for example, how do you pastor someone who has been tested positive for COVID? It's a whole new concept altogether that many people had not thought about. For example, when a person is tested positive, there are protocols that are in place according to the CDC, which I mean, has nothing to do with you as a pastor. It has everything to do with that person who has been tested positive, who now identifies themselves with your local congregation. And right. so 
you know, those, those are just some of the challenges. And then um, uh, let's just be totally transparent. Some of the other challenges is uh, just the social uh, determinants that come uh, to a congregation. Uh, for example, when you have a congregation now who many uh, persons have been laid off from work, uh, they don't have the you know, economical means to support their families. Uh, and many people, this pandemic has finally drawn attention to the, the finances of the family affect the finances of the church, because mm -hmm. we know that there are churches. I know colleagues of mine who churches are not open and they have said, Dr. Williams, uh, we won't recover. Like our church has just too many challenges of people who have been laid off. They don't have any um, resources coming in. And then you as the pastor have to speak to those social needs. Think about a family who's been very committed to the church. And now they find themselves by no fault of their own. You go and the, the company says, you know, the pandemic has caused us to shut down, you know, from all these executive orders. You know, that's that's, you know, you find people trying to survive around food pantries. And uh, one of the things that the Triad Passes Network has just, we've just come off of a, a statewide campaign of um, uh, what we call FarmX food distributions, where we went through about uh, 16 cities across the state uh, depositing 1,100 boxes of 40 pound meat combination boxes. Uh, we can tell you over 13 thousand boxes have been disseminated across the state but what we saw in this campaign was and we did it with churches we pastored and we partnered with local churches and what we found was many of these pastors were just in tears saying pastor this was a game changer for our congregation and our community so we know some of the challenges mm -hmm. uh and then let's not uh, omit the fact of some of these other social determinants like poverty uh, it has nothing to do. This pandemic has also put the spotlight on there are a lot of marginalized people in our communities that by no fault of their own, uh, they become, you know, um, I guess, direct recipients of being in poverty. So, you know, th those are some of the things. And then uh, what we also find, you can just look at the educational piece. Uh, I'm a big proponent of education, but what we found is this pandemic has also shown uh, a gap in education. Uh, you know now that they're asking uh, for many months and year, well, several months now, students to, to learn online. And how do you teach a child online when they're already struggling face-to-face? -face? You know that's a challenge within itself. And so that becomes a behavioral issue played out in the education system. Mm -hmm. And then you have the call, uh, Pastor, can you go down and talk to my child because he's playing out or it's playing out into behavioral issues. But the reality is that's been a problem before the pandemic came. It sure. just took the pandemic to really put a highlight on that. Sure. I think, you know, in, in my conversations, recent conversations with faith leaders like yourself who work in a variety of different places um, and, and settings, some in churches and some outside of churches, um, this, what you've just highlighted, I think is a, is a, is a recurring theme that I keep hearing, which is that we have a responsibility to one another. And I think yes. that, that what, what we have lived through in the last 15 months has, has highlighted many of the inequities of, of uh, and, and highlighted the, the, 
the social determinants of health in a way that we haven't really seen them before. Um, and, but, but it has, you know, in a, in a, in a better way, perhaps, if we can realize something good from this, it has highlighted that um, for all of us, I think that we have a responsibility to one another, um, both in, in, in your world in the, at the congregational level, congregational congregate, congregants have a responsibility to one another, but then we um, as, as individuals have a, have a responsibility to one another in our community, regardless of where they are, realizing that our community is very broad. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up, you know, in and around the Piedmont Triad. I know you grew up in, in the Jacksonville area, but Correct. they're not, they're not probably terribly different. <laughs> um, and I grew up uh, in the Piedmont Triad. I grew up uh, going to church and I have seen now in the time that I've been alive, I've seen churches change. I have seen them age. Um, I know that churches now are faced with a real aging issue, which creates lots of, you know, potential difficulties for churches, not just from financial stability, but then also back to the point that you made earlier um, about uh, how congregational leaders must be well-versed um, or at least knowledgeable in health resources, because as we get older, our health changes. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, some of the challenges that you have seen um, uh, that play out in congregations uh, specific to an aging congregation? Yes, uh, and I think that's a very um, relevant conversation right now, particularly when you look at how the pandemic uh, has impacted our churches and who it has impacted. We know uh, the main theme with those persons uh, 60 and older, uh, the seniors uh, trying to have a mad dash to get them uh, quarantined, uh, get them vaccinated, uh, and, and so we've done an excellent job uh, as a country uh, trying to really get our seniors um, uh, in a safe place. Now, uh, I can tell you the challenge that we're having is, is this new term uh, that I have been doing a lot of literature around, literature reading around, and it's called this zen, the, the Zennials, mm. uh, this, this group 18 to about 35 you know, these, these, this younger crowd that doesn't seem to have the same value uh, for church. I can tell you uh, that one of the challenges that we're seeing right now is that the seniors, 60 and older, they're more receptive to uh, the knowledge. But this younger generation, the Zennials, what we're finding is they don't necessarily follow the church, they follow the voices. So for example, um, when, when, when I came up, if my pastor, and I wanna speak specifically uh, around the African-American church, I can tell you in the African-American church, the pastor is the voice in the black church. And um, uh, if, if, if a person hadn't figured that out, then they still need to do some homework on faith engagement in the <laughs> black church. Uh, let me just tell you. Um, and so what does that mean? So for seniors, when the pastor says, I want you all to be vaccinated. I want you all to, to, to go and educate yourself, go to the CDC, go to John Hopkins, go and look in these toolkits. 
In, in other words, it acclimate yourself to education, right? When the pastor says that, it's it's a done deal. You're, you're going to have uh, the majority of that congregation following. We know that's principle because that's why a lot of politicians go to the black church and they want that pastor to say that you might not be able to say vote for them, but you can say I'll vote for them. That's mm-hmm. it's just as clear. Right. But we have another problem now with our younger people. They don't necessarily follow the voice of the preacher. They just bought follow the voice. And, and, and when I say that, for example, if Jay-Z is the voice out front, then what we find is the young people are following that voice, not the, the institution. Yeah. You know, I think what you're describing, if I've captured it uh, uh, well, is really a shift in influence. Um, among the different generations. Um, yes. And I can imagine that that uh, would, be, uh, would be very challenging, um, particularly as you sort of see them on a, a different path of consuming information, right? Um, because we know, I think we know that the way in which uh, people consume information has a direct effect on their health and well being. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, and I think what you're describing is what what we know is that I can say this anecdotally, uh, you know, folks will rely on their pastor, uh, their their lawyer, their doctor, and their accountant, right? I mean, right. Um, and those are the people that that people have great place, great trust in, and with great trust comes great responsibility. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion: the intersection of faith and health in the community. Join us next time as we conclude this conversation with Trent and Lamonte about how our community engagement, understanding, and collaborations can lead to key partnerships that connect local faith leaders and congregations to timely health resources and initiatives. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.